0: I missed last week because I was sick. Somebody gave me a, a gift that keeps on giving. And um, I'm now one short. I'm not, stay, I'm not staying on another week in order to do it. So uh, next week we're gonna have to try and combine uh, five and six. Th- this is a little series uh, that I, I thought would work. Uh, Picking up on six things that Jim Packer says you should repeat to yourself every day when you're waiting for the bus. Uh, I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. And uh, I think we can combine five and six Uh, fairly easily and we'll do that next week and then there'll be a a little Christmas gift that I know that you spend all year anticipating uh, from from the ministers. Um, David Lawton needs to broaden his uh, knowledge of hymns. Surely to goodness everyone knows forever with the Lord. I've been singing it all my life. Uh, This is a hymn by James um montgomery and uh, we sing a christmas carol by james uh, montgomery as with gladness Uh, no angels from the realms of glory uh and um you may also be familiar with in the hour of trial jesus plead for me those are james montgomery's uh hymns he was a poet and and a preacher and um left us this beautiful legacy. Now the text for today as you can see in your bulletin is Hebrews 9:27 and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So uh upbeat lesson today <laughs> just before Christmas exactly what you want Well, before I even begin Christians are not afraid of death they're afraid of dying the process of dying can be horrible but we're not afraid of death and I want us, I want us to try and answer the question why why are we not afraid of of death Charles Haddon Spurgeon died at 11.05 pm uh, on January the 31st in 1892. He was in uh, Menton in France as he was, um, he went there I think annually, um, not for the waters but for the sun. Uh, London in the 19th century um, was a, a coal-burning city, so it was full of smog in wintertime, and and very bad for the lungs. And uh, there was a lot of lung disease, I think, in London in the Victorian age. And one of the cures for lung problems, breathing problems, was to go to the south of France. That would cure almost anything. Uh, when, we were, when we were little, uh, when my children were little, uh, we we borrowed a camper on three occasions and went to the south of France. You have to go past Paris to ensure that you get that Mediterranean weather. North of France in uh, Lyon or or somewhere, um, could be dicey, uh, but if you went all the way to the south of France, you were guaranteed that wonderful um, dry Mediterranean uh, weather. And uh, Susanna, Spurgeon's wife, was by his side. He was 57 years old. He died young. For the amount of material and sermons that we have from Spurgeon, 66 volumes of sermons. Uh, and each volume contains probably 30 or 40 uh, sermons. Um, he, um, um, he died from kidney failure and uh, he went into a coma and from which he did not Uh, wake up, and the newly invented uh, telegraph system um, ensured that the news of his death was known around the world within a matter of hours. Uh, He once wrote, it is the very joy of this earthly life to think that it will come to an end. It is the very joy of this earthly life to think that it will come to an end and a new life will begin. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We've already cited a number of times, I think in the last few weeks, George Whitfield's famous statement, we are immortal till our work is done. George Whitfield, who came to the Carolinas uh, on seven occasions um, by ship, in the 1730s, 1740s, and uh, each voyage would take up to three months. So that's six six months at sea to come here for a couple of months, three months, and then make the journey back again. Uh, One biographer uh, of Whitfield estimated that he spent seven years of his life at sea on a ship. And you can imagine the conditions on board a ship uh, in the 1730s and 40s were terrible. Um, Death. We have to go all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis, to Genesis chapter 3. And where we learn that death is the wages of sin, Adam's sin, Eve's sin. Adam and Eve were created um, and put on probation. I was hoping (coughs) not to cough today, but alas, I am going to cough. Um, Adam and Eve were placed on probation in the garden. Um, Augustine said, using Latin terms, said they were placed in a condition of posse pecare, posse non peccare," which means it is possible to sin and possible not to sin. We don't have the option of posse non pecare, possible not to sin. We sin every day. And Adam and Eve were given free will, free will which was lost at the fall, The ability to choose all the good that there is And Eve chose to listen to the serpent Who said categorically to Eve You shall not die Adam and Eve were given one law One command Just one And it wasn't a particularly difficult one They were not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Somewhere in the Garden of Eden, there was the Tree of Life, which was a sacrament. But somewhere in the Garden was a a tree. We think of it as an apple tree. It's as good a tree as any. Um, And they were not to eat of that tree. And Eve replied, we may eat of the fruit of the tree trees in the garden but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it interesting isn't it God never said anything about not touching it for all we know Adam and Eve could have climbed into the tree like I did as a, as a little boy we had an orchard on the farm and I loved apples and we had all kinds of apples eating apples cooking apples uh, Sometimes the dairy cows would break into the orchard when the apples were lying on the floor and they would eat them and they would get drunk because these apples were fermenting. And uh, they wouldn't give milk for maybe two or three weeks as a consequence. It was something of a disaster. And, uh, but interesting that the default in Eve, in Eve is to make God's command harder. Than it was It's a legalistic default And it's fascinating That Eve made God's commandment Harder than it actually was That she she wasn't even allowed to touch the tree So Eve believed the lie That the serpent put in her mind That God is somewhat Mean in his commands and his word is not to be trusted you shall not die he said she ate the forbidden fruit and she knew good and evil actually it's ironic what, did, what actually did she know when she ate the, the, the fruit of the tree that she was naked it's somewhat ironic that that's the knowledge that she got Shame came into her life and Adam's life for the very first time. Now the scriptures make a great deal of Adam in parallel with Christ. And we sometimes talk about the Adam-Christ parallel. And uh, Paul makes a great thing of it in Romans chapter 6 and again in First Corinthians 15. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam was our representative agent. And you may balk at that and say that's not fair. Why should I be punished for Adam's sin? But why should you be blessed for Christ's righteousness? What's food for the goose is food for the gander. I never understood that, but, but if, that, if that works and helps... As in Adam, all die. We all inherit from Adam original sin. Now, a young mother texted me yesterday. She's just given birth to her first child. And... uh, I always text them when, when I hear about these births, and I said, give me a name and a picture, and they were send back these beautiful pictures of these newly born infants, and uh, they're pretty, and, and, and so on. And she said to me, I have to confess that my husband and I were, um, were uh, finding it difficult to think that we would come to a baptism and confess that this little infant is guilty of original sin. And she said, after two days, it's not hard at all. LAUGHTER it just took two days (laughs) the ones who balk at original sin are bachelors (laughs) we are doomed to die every single person in the world apart from Enoch and Elijah have died we are doomed to die it is appointed for man to die once there is a A day set on God's calendar. Now presumably by inference had Adam and Eve obeyed the command they would have passed through their probationary period and they would have been confirmed in righteousness and they would not have died. John Wesley was famously asked a question. This is a John Wesley who, who, who rode something like thirty to 40,000 miles on the back of a horse in all of his preaching engagements. And he was once asked, what would he do tomorrow if he knew he was going to die tomorrow? And he looked at his calendar and he said, I would do exactly what I planned to do. I doubt that many of us could have answered it that way. There are definitely things that I wouldn't do, I wouldn't eat broccoli if I knew I was gonna to die tomorrow. <laughs> Let's remind ourselves a little of what happens at death. At death, there is the separation of body and soul. God has created us with bodies and souls. And we're to avoid the whole platonic thing That the, the body is the prison house of the soul The soul is, is who we are it's, our, it's, our, it's me It's my consciousness It's my self-awareness We sometimes would use the word person What survives death? The person does He does, she does I do, you do but in a different form, without our earthly, physical bodies. And for unbelievers, death is an enemy. You remember in First Corinthians 15, uh, the last enemy is, is death. Or in uh, Hebrews 2.15, um, in the King James it uses the word terror the terror of death ESV has the fear of death because after death comes judgment but for Christians it is not a terror the the process of dying can be a terror but death itself is a release into paradise What did Jesus say to the dying thief when he asked, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. It's the same word in Greek as the word third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12 when Paul is talking about having seen visions and and whether in the body or out the body he wasn't sure uh, but he'd seen things that it wasn't lawful for him to write down and tell us. And he was taken to the third heaven, to paradise. Now, Seventh-day Adventists believe in soul sleep, as, as do other um, sects. That when you die, you, you're unconscious, and you, you, you wake up the other side of the resurrection. Um, so what do they do with this text? Today you will be with me in paradise. And what they do is they insert a comma I say to you, today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Well, John Wesley, again, famously said about 18th century Methodists, our people die well. They knew how to die. And to die with faith, and to die with courage, and to die with hope, and conviction what did Paul tell the Philippians for me to live is Christ and to die is gain I desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better now we love much about our lives and it's We are to live our lives for the glory of God. We are to enjoy every good and perfect gift that comes down from heaven. We enjoy all the good things about life, friends, companions, family, spouse, food, drink, hobbies, going to the farm. We enjoy all of those things, rightly so. Give God praise and glory. But we do so knowing that here we have no continuing city. But we seek one which is to come, whose builder and maker is God. We have one eye on earth and one eye in heaven. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Away from the body, at home with the Lord that's how Paul puts it in 2nd Corinthians 5 away from the body at home with the Lord and I think the inference that I would draw from the use of that word home is that there will be something about heaven that will look like home and feel like home the best part of a vacation is coming home I love vacations I love to be away but it's a different bed, the pillows are never right um And then when you get into your own bed and your own pillow, there's something comforting about it. Pulling up your driveway, seeing the lights are on because you switch them on in the driveway. And uh, you walk in and um, it's home. And you know where everything is. And if you want a snack, you can go and get a snack. It's home. And heaven will feel... Like home Now Let's go on off on a little tangent For a second or two um, What happens What happens after death We go home Our souls are immediately In the presence of the Lord Jesus And in the presence of others Who have loved Jesus And have gone home before us the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, it is a parable, but it suggests consciousness and awareness of their surroundings, one in heaven and one in hell. Consciousness and awareness of what's going on down below on earth, that parable seems to suggest that. But all I want to talk about now is that only those who believe and trust in Jesus are going to be saved. Only those who believe and trust in Jesus will make it all the way to heaven. Now there are four opinions out there in um, the broad evangelical world. One is called exclusivism. Only those who believe in Jesus will, will go to heaven. One is called inclusivism. There's an allowance, and I would make an allowance for, for example, the death of infants and stillborn. And the Belgic Confession is, is very clear that uh, infants who die in infancy are in heaven. Uh, the Westminster Confession equivocated slightly and, and simply said that elect infants who die in infancy will go to heaven which isn't saying anything at all because that, that's what election means, that they're going to be in heaven. Right, so it's not actually an answering the question, even though I believe, I believe that probably 99% of the Westminster divines believed that infants who die in infancy go to heaven. That's a very difficult pastoral issue to deal with and, and talk about. And, um, undoubtedly, in this room, there there are cases of stillborn uh, children and it is my firm belief and conviction that mothers uh, will see their children and raise them into adulthood in heaven I have no biblical verse that says that but the kind of God that I've come to know over the last 50 years is the kind of God who would allow a mother the privilege and pleasure of raising their little infants into adulthood. C.S. Lewis says that somewhere uh, in a grief defined, I think. Um, Another view is universalism. Um, The belief that everybody's going to be saved, even Judas. John Saunders who's a contemporary theologian um, making a great deal of of noise about various things and um, talks about the wider hope why would you bother to evangelize if you thought that everybody was going to be saved and then there's a view that's become fairly popular recently uh, the post-mortem evangelism view that you'll be given a second chance after you die. And a book was published just just a couple of uh, years ago, Post Mortem Opportunity, a biblical and theological assessment of salvation after death. And the author James Bailby uh, argues for a second chance. Well, let me make it absolutely clear, there is no second chance. It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. There's no second chance. And if you are going to have an assurance that you're going to go to heaven, you need to believe now, today, while it is called today. Death brings about, for the Christian, death brings about what the Bible calls glorification. It is the, it is the first step in glorification. And the final step is the resurrection of the body and the reunification of body and soul in the new heavens and new earth. Jay Parker says, readiness to die is the first step in learning to live. Readiness to die is the first step in learning to live. Are you ready to die? There's a famous story told it before, Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, uh, taught at Oxford University in the 1600s. And um, uh, you went to college in, in the 1600s when you were 12, and a 12-year-old came, prospective student coming to Oxford University, and uh, went into Thomas Goodwin's office. It was a dark, full of books, small little window curtains and it was very dark in there and a little lamp in the corner. And Thomas Goodwin asked him, are you ready to die? And he fled. He thought he was going to kill him. <laughs> our culture is afraid to talk about death. We talk about people passing, but we, we, our culture is very reluctant to use the word death. And millions of people walk through life avoiding the issue. In the foolishness that they have better things to do with their time than to think about death and the hereafter. Time like an ever flowing stream bears all its sons away, Isaac Watts wrote. So Jared Wilson, let me give you a quote from Jared Wilson, what Satan would love for you to do is spend this life as if that's all there is. First He won't want you to think about death at all, not even if it brings you a sense of dread. The devil likes to traffic in fear, but it's not his immediate go-to because he knows that fearful people often cry out for help, which means fearful people are very close to having their ears open to divine rescue. Instead, he wants you to think of death as some far-off thing, not a big deal, certainly nothing... That could happen tomorrow or in the next five minutes. He wants you drunk on the sense of immortality. The popular hymn, uh, Abide With Me, uh, written by Henry Francis Light, L-Y-T-E. And he spanned the late 1700s, early 1800s. And uh, he wrote it just before he died, Uh, Of Tuberculosis Abide with me Is taken from Luke 24 29 uh, When the disciples on the road to Emmaus uh, Said to the resurrected Jesus Abide with us for it is toward evening And the day is far spent And the hymn was sung for the first time at his funeral And it's been sung ever since, and it's not unusual to have Abide With Me uh, as a funeral hymn, um, meaning that this is their favorite hymn of all time. It was composed on a Sabbath evening in 1847, and a deep sadness had come upon um, Henry Light. He had conducted his last communion. Uh, He had contracted TB, and, and TB was a death sentence, Uh, in the 19th century and he had gone um, he was was heading south, namely he was heading to the south of France like uh, Spurgeon uh, did and towards evening uh, he he walked down his garden path to the seaside and uh, thought out the imagery of many of the lines of this uh, of this hymn and returning home he wrote out the hymn perfecting its lines and Giving to uh, the Christian world uh, one of the tenderest um, poems uh, in the history of of, uh, of hymnody, "Abide with Me." Fast falls the even tide. Um, it's a great, great privilege and joy to be a Christian and to know with certainty that the last enemy will not triumph because Jesus has conquered death. He too died and was buried. Dead and buried, we say in the Apostles' Creed every week. But on that third day, he rose again from the dead and we are in union with him in his death and resurrection. And because he rose... We shall rise to to glorious immortality and life. The best is yet to come. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Um, Grant us that joy that comes from knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.